You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? You're listening to the Miami Nation podcast. I'm Alex Miller with the Eagle, joined by Robert Cessna and Travis Brown. Ain't in football season's over. The Aggies finished. Hey, our battery's low. I know. I, the, both of them got left off the thing. Okay. So we're just going to have to okay. go with it. Our, re, our, our, our viewers like to know that. Yeah. Uh, should I record this on my phone? Just to No, guess? I mean, we'll, I have the other one charging. We can okay. switch it out, but okay. y'all got to remember to put the Sorry. batteries back. Okay. All right. What? Uh, just go. The camera's okay. not centered on the desk. Okay. All right. In three, two, one. What's going on, everyone? You're listening to the Miami Nation podcast. I'm Alex Miller with the Eagle, joined by Robert Cessna and Travis Brown of the Eagle. Ain't in football season wrapped up last Saturday. The Aggies got the big upset win over number five LSU. Guys, it was a long, long season for the Aggies. Let's 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 grade Adam's performance. We were in here during the bye week. We graded the first half of the season, and then the second half of the season was when things kind of fell off. Cease. Let's start with the offense, how would you grade AM's offense this year? I think F's the lowest I can go. So with that in mind is it, it would be an F because, oh, my gosh, they're ranked in the bottom like 91, and one of them uh, on total def- I mean total offense, uh, 101, or sc- scoring and vice versa. It doesn't matter. I mean, I've said this before. Yeah, you'd like to give them an incomplete, but also you can't give somebody an incomplete when it's Jimbo Fisher's fifth year. So you, 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 hopefully you're two or three deep by now, and you can survive. Couldn't even get to six wins or seven wins when you look at it. Uh, just the offensive line, the wide receivers, the quarterback, three quarterbacks, whatever you look at, the tight ends. Uh, just got to give them an F. Yeah, there's there's hope in there. You would hope there's hope in there, but just just an easy F. Travis? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to give him an F+. Plus because wow, it was, okay, you're nice. It was really <laughs> bad throughout, but exactly what Cease just said there. there with Connor Wegman coming back, with Evan Stewart, uh, with some of what the running back showed at times, there there's tools to build on there. I, I, I think... The offense is trending for uh, up a little bit towards the end of the season, so I'll give them an F plus because it, it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll give them I'll, I'll I'll give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt at times. I'll give them a D minus. Wow, I'll give them a D minus because at the end of the day, what Wegman was able to do during that last stretch, even though they lost a couple of pivotal games. What he was able to do against Ole Miss, against LSU, was very impressive. Uh, when when they had all their pieces together, like that last game against LSU, you saw what the offense was kind of maybe capable of actually doing if they would have had all those pieces throughout the season. But, yeah, it was a pretty abysmal effort throughout the, re- the remainder of, especially the conference slate, where they just really did nothing. So I'll give them a D-minus. Barely getting that diploma, D for diploma. So wow, I wish you'd been on my college professors. I'm not. I got to be in one course. <laughs> All right, defense probably going to grade a little higher. I would think. Cease. Yeah, I, I'll give them a C plus because they did a lot of good things, but yet they just couldn't get over the hump to me to to make those big plays in huge games until you know. When you look at the last game, they beat LSU. But nothing was on the line except pride in there. Uh, run defense. Run defense get a, gets an F-. minus. I mean, they, they took until LSU to get it gone. Dwani uh, Richardson, Antonio Johnson, they had some players. Uh, you know, Jack Jackson, even, uh, you know, at linebacker. They were bad at linebacker. But uh, the, the, the guy started every game. Russell. Russell. He actually was was somewhat, uh, you know, at least consistent. 
but just they, they just couldn't get it get it done enough. And you know, I blame some of that on the offense. So that why I why I give them a C plus. Couldn't really go up to a B because I feel B is something you know special. So I'll give them a C plus. Travis, I'm, I'm gonna go with a D plus. I, I, oh wow! I, I know cool. that the, the the main objective, the goal of defense, is to keep points off the board. And at times, and and for a good chunk of the season, they they did that. They they kept teams down, scoring down. But that being said, the run, like you said, the run defense was abysmal. I mean, they, they there was times at State, you go back to that, where if they needed three yards, they could get three yards. If they, they went forward on fourth down a couple of times in short because they knew they could get it. Um, and you look, coming into the um, the LSU game, A&M actually had the number one pass defense in the country. But that was such a skewed stat because there were so many teams who didn't need to throw against them. I mean, go back to Auburn where they, up until like the last few plays of the first half, they only attempted three passes against them. And that's Auburn who who had a terrible defense. Um, I mean, excuse me, offense. So, yeah, you know, they. and here's the thing. If you're going to grade a defense high, it's partly, and it goes either way. You were talking about this with offense or defense, they need to be complimentary and complimentary in this situation for who A&M was. The defense needed to step up and make some more big plays like what Damani Richardson did against uh, Arkansas and what he did against LSU returning that fumble recovery. I know holding a defense to the standard of you got to put points on the board for the offense is a pretty high bar, but they needed that this year. Uh, And so I'm I'm, going to say a D D plus for uh, for the defense. I'm going to give them a 79.4 because it's like you you feel like you deserve a B in that situation, but you still get the C, right? So I think that Ano's pass defense, certainly pretty good, but like Travis said, a little skewed at times because of teams not really throwing it because they knew they could take advantage of the run. And at the end of the day, the run defense was porous. It was porous the entire season for the most part. You go back all the way to the App State game, Rap State's getting that push on first down, making it manageable on third. Uh, and, you know, a lot of inexperience on the defensive line. How many true freshmen did they start on that defensive line this year? I mean, it was it was kind of staggering how many guys they had up there uh, getting significant snaps, snaps, excuse me. And then <laughs> linebacker, just, you know, very little depth. And, you know, I think if Edger and Cooper would have been able to play a little more, it might have been better at times. But he was injured throughout that middle part of that conference sl- uh, stretch, so uh, yeah, I'll give him I'll give him a C plus. But, but think about it too, if that run defense is just a little bit better, right? They beat Alabama, mm-hmm. they beat Auburn, they probably beat Ole Miss. They they might beat Ole Miss because that was one of their best offensive performances, and they probably beat App State. I mean, think about how different this season is if that run defense is in the. Uh, the 80s or the 70s and not the 100s. I, I know that's nitpicking apart, but man, that, that defense was supposed to be so much better and the season could have been so much better if they were just just a little bit better. We could say that about the offense at certain points too. If they were just a little better, A&M could have won certain games. If they'd have made one more pass against Alabama, they'd, yeah. they'd have won. But I'm also laughing to myself is the fact that I couldn't think of Chris Russell's name kind of says where the defense <laughs> is. You know, he started every game and, and his name just doesn't come to me because other than Damani Richards and Antonio Johnson, nobody comes to mind real quick on defense yeah. because I mentioned those guys a lot. All right, special teams. Travis, I'm going to start with you. Special teams was interesting. Um, you know, early in the season, I think it was about a C because, you know, Caden Davis really didn't show up like a lot of us thought he would. But then you have uh, Devon, Devon A. Chain returning, some, uh, returning a touchdown, and it kind of balanced out. You, you had maybe one of the under underrated breakout players this season. That's Randy Bond coming in and doing a pretty good job as a as a walk on and a guy who's a, who was supposed to be a backup this this whole season. Um, so uh, you, there were, and there was a couple of miscues on on punt catches, a couple from uh, uh, Nia Smith and and a few from Moose Muhammad and trying to catch balls and and letting balls go over their head and punt. It was such a, a mishmash. I don't think 
Nick Constantino had a very good season. No, uh, not at all. For, not for, at all. For what punters have been able to do at A and M, don't think he really had a had a great season. <sighs> Give him a C. It was just it, it was just average. It, there was some bright spots, but probably not enough. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a C. I'll give him a D because I take the word special off teams because there's nothing special about them. And I know it hurt to have Anaya Smith gone, but they never had that huge plays in the return game. Yeah, their coverage was okay, uh, but they go in, and I give Bond kudos because Davis was supposed to be the guy. He was a bust. Uh, Constantine, you got to remember, every year you think a and punter might be up to win the Ray guy, he wasn't even close this year. It was, and then the blocked field goal, and I know the guy quote was offsides, but he still didn't get them. There was just the, the special teams. I thought they lost about out of the twelve games. They probably lost seven matchups this year if you just looked at the special teams in the games, and that's just really bad. So I'm giving him a D, and, and I think I might be kind to give him a D. You think about the kickoff return for a touchdown to open the South Carolina game that really set the tone. Yeah. Good thing you're here. I (laughs) mean, A&M, you take the last 35 minutes of the game, A&M pretty much dominated that game. But that first five minutes, I mean, they were just skunked. And that was because it all started with that kickoff return, Mm -hmm. you know? So I I think I give them about a C what you you had to say, Travis. I, I I lean toward what you had. It's just another one of those situations, and I know it's like C said, you can say it for any, anything, but it was pretty evident from the beginning of the season that offense was going to struggle. And and if you know early that the offense is going to struggle, the other phases have to step up. Uh, special teams, that usually hasn't been a problem for AM in the past. And no. so uh, it, it's just another one that you kind of have to dock them for not stepping up and, and helping getting some yardage on kick returns and, and things like that when it was evident that that was going to be needed. All right, coaching, Cease. Got to give him an F because uh, bottom line is there's no way A&M should be 5-7 and seven, not gone to a bowl game. That's, that's just unacceptable. I think Jimbo Fisher would give the staff an F if he was grading almost because – Nine point five million for him, or nine? I guess it's up to nine seven now. You know, nine six, and it, it's just been a frustrating year for everybody. And not that you want to give anybody an F. Like if you're a teacher, you don't want to give your student an F. But it's the result of what we all had to endure. I mean, it was bad for everybody, whether you're a media fan or coach. And uh, you know, we, t- we touched on it moving forward. I'll give them credit for getting to Wegman. I'll give them credit for getting to Bond. But, of course, they didn't start with those guys. So that in fall camp, what happened? Maybe they could say, well, these guys came on as the season went on. So that's a good thing looking forward. You hope it's an F that gets everybody's attention and not an F that goes down. At least I'm giving them an F. Travis? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to get to is that how how do you not know that you have uh, Wigman sitting there and of course y- you could say like you said moving through the season through practice that he developed and, and, and Jimbo Fisher kind of when we asked in the midseason said it's a whole lot easier to ruin a guy in that situation than it is to make him um, but it seems pretty evident that, that uh, Wigman was a guy that was ready to go when, when his number was called there early in the season so I think you got to dock him for that. The play calling was bad. Uh, the run defense on, on, on defense, the way that they did that, the, the three-man front and how that switched around. There, there was games to be had there, even with how badly they played, and they couldn't overcome that uh, situation. I mean, also something we haven't talked a whole lot about, the way that AM's offense usually came out of the locker room in the second half where adjustments were supposed to be made right there – that those first couple of drives out of the locker room in a lot of those games were maybe some of the worst spells that the that A and M had um, in any of those games. Uh, even go back to the LSU game, that was the case. Those, those two mm. three and outs right out of the locker room. Um, that that's that's right squarely on coaching. And you go back to the way that the staff was built up. I, I still argue with they need a special teams coach. They need a dedicated special teams coach. Um, in here, and I know there's only so many coaching positions that they can have, but man, with how bad the special teams were this year, I think that's something that needs to be looked at moving forward. I, I give them an F. 
actually started a lot of games poorly, too. We talked yeah. about the South Carolina. We talked about even Sam Houston State. We said like, they're not killing them early. Um, UMass, they started slow. What's funny is when you said that, I go, yeah, right. We never really talked about the. In the past, Jimbo's teams adjusted halftime. I go, well, they, they didn't start good. They didn't start the first, first half or the second half. They just were bad. They lost the lead against Ole Miss. They lost the lead against Florida. They they let LSU tie the game, and it wasn't until the fumble recovery for touchdown that they were able to regain the lead, and that wasn't even a part of the offense. I mean, we were sitting at that LSU game, and in the third quarter I was like, this is just a repeat of the Florida game. Yeah, like mm-hmm. It just really felt like that. that mm-hmm. I was like, they were they're gonna they're gonna do a repeat of the game. Yeah, so I thought. So, so I thought. I yeah, wrong. I think I agree with you guys. Got to give them an F. I mean, it, at the end of the day, it was it was a failure all around. Well, and and I mean, it's evident by the fact of how many people, how how much conversation is going calling for a, an overhaul of of the coaching staff and a, and a reevaluation of how maybe plays are called and stuff like that. That yeah, it's you got well, to, and they, to change. And they've already made a change. Daryl Dickey's not returning mm-hmm. as offensive coordinator. I guess we'll see. You know, if there's any well, other changes that are going to be made, if once they hire a guy, he was never really the offensive corner. He was true. just a contributor, and I kind of feel bad for him that he's the first guy thrown underneath the bus because we all know, and anybody close to football, Daryl Dickey's not the problem with with the team because I think he was he did what he was hired to do. He was here to study film and give give uh, suggestions and what have you because what I had a laugh is obviously things went well because when they redid his contract last year he got a raise so yeah. you don't give somebody a raise well, and it was know. it was interesting to see that we never really got to see actually much of of Daryl Dickey's schemes and ideas because he was an up-tempo throw the ball around kind of coach mm-hmm. when he was calling plays and when he was in charge of the offense and it, for as much as he was involved with the, the, the scheming and the, and the scripting of of the offense, it didn't seem like his fingerprints were much on anything that, that, that they did in terms of what his past philosophies offensively had looked like. Yeah, because he came from Memphis, and a lot of people mm-hmm. go, oh, man, Memphis at that time was one of the hurry-up deals, whatever, but, you know, we'll see moving forward. All right, grade the season <clears throat> overall. Travis? I mean, it's it's an F. You, 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 first time Jimbo Fisher misses a bowl game straight up because of, of wins – um, first time A and M hasn't gone played played a bowl game in two years in a row. I know last year was because of of COVID and, and whatever situations in a, in a really long time. Um, these SEC schedules with how many non conference games are, are are built in right now? They're built in for teams to to, to be bowl eligible um, and and to not get to six wins is is I mean. <clears throat> Not where any program wants to be in the SEC. It's it's a it's a hard F. Not to mention, this was probably as wide open as the SEC West has right. been since A and M has been in the league. Right. Alabama was as vulnerable as they've been since 2012. Yeah. Cease, what do you give them? Uh, I got to go with a B because uh, they gave me an a- NIL money. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, didn't have to work for it. You know, no, got to give them an F. We make a lot of jokes. And uh, actually, I was I didn't realize Chase Lane did a I was listening to a local commercial that uh, on the heels of uh he did a local commercial, a place where Wiedemeyer did a, uh, a local commercial. I say, man, uh, both those guys did not have good years. I mean, I mean, and sometimes now I'm looking at that NIL deal. And NIL's, NIL's changed everything. you got to have NIL. But I'm thinking, wow, some of those guys, like the coaches, Jimbo needs to give some of his check back. Some of those players need to give their NIL money back. And, and I know it's, it's, it's what we're moving forward to. But, you know, nobody wins. Nobody wins any money, even the players, you know, the NIL deal. Everybody, it's, it's, it's F the whole way around. Well, well, and that NIL deal is an interesting thing. That's like the example that you give because Chase Lane just entered the transfer portal. Or right. that he's I thought about to. that, too. And so, I mean, the, the, the point, and we always have to clarify, the point of NIL is, is not based anything on what happens on the field. It's just their ability to sell their name, image, and yeah. likeness. More and, power to them. And, and so y- you can't um, – you can't tie in uh, incentives or, or performance on the field type of things. But, but yeah, it, it is a different landscape in college football with, with, with all of these things, and it makes you um, reevaluate kind of how you evaluate college football because of all of it. It's like we're sponsored too, right? So you got get our sponsors out, get our sponsor out there. You can't you know? enter the transfer portal. I can't answer no. the transfer But, yeah, it's, it's – uh, 
it's one of those years, and, and I, I, I don't, I, you know, sometimes we just got to laugh because it's behind us. I guess that's a good thing. If Cease entered the transfer portal, he would definitely be a graduate transfer, right? Uh, that's debatable. <laughs> he's got, if, I, he's uh, probably got at least one COVID year. If he see my, if he see my transcripts, I might not even make it as a graduate. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. To wrap this whole thing up, what what is the most important thing AM football needs to do in the next month to get the ship turned around as 2023 comes? I, I have to name just one? Uh, you can name as many as you want because I think the list is probably long. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this is the low-hanging fruit, but I think, I think the, the, the offense has to modernize, whether that is Jimbo Fisher – does it himself or he brings in the, the, whoever the new offensive coordinator is going to be in and hand over the reins to play calling because um, I, I just don't think with how the SEC is, is built right now that a ball control um, type offense where you're, you are relying on your team to get themselves in situation to be in, in third and, and manageable multiple times on a drive and then convert on third down is something that's, that's sustainable with how defenses are playing and with how many how much points the other teams usually can put on the board um so i, I they, they've got to, to to quote unquote modernize the offense um and and make it to where it can put up more than 24 28 points on the board because um normally that's not going to win games that's probably the most important out of a lot of different problems sees you wrote your a football column this week on Mm. A&M's future kind of depends on Jimbo's play call on his play caller. So what do you see as the most important thing? I see the number one thing, which I think already has played out. Keep the core of your players. Because if they do that, we've already seen everyone they've lost. I think they'll be able to gain in the portal. I think they'll be able to gain better players than what they've lost if they need to fill those scholarships, depending on how many it comes in. So I think already we're seeing a plus in the fact is they're keeping their core. Because if they keep their core, their core beat LSU 38-23, and even 31 of those points was by the offense. And as we mentioned, they came out slow. So they could have scored, the offense could have scored 35-40 to 40 against LSU, an old-fashioned offense. So if they keep the core, I like moving forward because I think Wegman – I think, uh, you know, the tight ends look good. Younger tight ends look good. Uh, you look at how good Stewart is. The offensive line looked good in the last game. But that you can't. we've learned you can't book a lot on one game because maybe LSU didn't show up. But Cease getting a long answer. I think, number one, keep the core. Yeah, I would like to see a little bit more up-tempo offense, but I'm not an offensive coach. I do know I can definitely grade what I saw. I didn't like what I saw this year as a, as a rider. wasn't a good team to cover because you want to cover a winner. You do not want to cover a five and seven. So they've done number one, I think. They've kept the core together because I think a couple guys were already bolted if they're not. That's number one. And then I think else – and we can argue there might be a lot of number ones because you don't get to be five and seven by, by making one or two mistakes. And what about you? Yeah, no, I, I, you guys took mine. I think what, something I'm curious to see is what's A&M going to do with this recruiting class? Mm. The early signing period is in February, or excuse me, like three weeks from now in December. They've only got like 11 commits. You know, it seems like they're going to try and maybe use the portal a little heavier this year because Jimbo really doesn't really use the portal a ton in his time at A&M. So kind of curious how they fill, you know, maybe some, some needs there. Um, but, you know, what's going to happen with this recruiting class? Because, I mean, you had the number one class last year. This class is far from that. And so uh, to be the elite of the elite, you have to stack those classes on top of each other. I mean, that's how you become the Alabama, the Georgia, the Ohio States. Of the world. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens in these next couple of weeks because you would think any kinds of staffing issues need to be resolved by that early signing period right. so that those recruits have the confidence of knowing who they're going to be playing for here in these next couple of years. But a couple of the other un unintended consequences, if they are bringing in a new offensive coordinator that's going to completely revamp this offense – does the baseball team miss out on having Connor Wegman because mm. he might want to stay and, and learn the that, – that was his kind of reasoning why he didn't play 
uh, as an early enrollee last spring is that he wanted to in, 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 in ingratiate himself into Jimbo Fisher's offense, learn the playbook, uh, be able to, to, to be ready when his number was called. It's, it's kind of that situation again. I, I don't know anything for sure right now, but will the, will the baseball team miss out on that because he might have to choose football um, over baseball? I want to close out with this. Sees how progressive do you of an offensive coordinator? I know we're not going to get into names or anything mm. right now, but you know, on one end of the spectrum, you you do have like the Garrett Rileys, where it's just mm. absolutely full air raid up tempo, uh, and then there's a spectrum all in between. How progressive? How um, crazy do you think Jimbo will get with his hire, or do you think it's going to start to be someone who who falls decently in line with what where he's at, but maybe has one or two different ideas? Where on that spectrum do you think a And M will go? You know, I like to be wrong, which I am a lot. So I think he might try to hire uh, somebody with with opposite of his comfort level, maybe a little more hurry up, tempo, offense, whatever, a younger guy. Because I don't think Jimbo is going to completely give up the reins. I think mm-hmm. that way he could bring somebody in to complement it. And that's, that's just me talking because I think most people are thinking he's going to go turn over the, the keys – completely I don't think that I, you know I, I think that he's he's just a guy that likes to be in control but once again I might be wrong on that and uh, I know you said you wanted to close with that I'd like to close I put my two cents in for closing I know one of our most faithful listeners on these is my daughter Cassie and she turns 33 today so today's her birthday so I want to wish her a birthday whenever she watches this because uh, she's been a blessing for since she came into our life. She was our first, so I'm pretty excited. Happy and, birthday, and, and she's Happy my birthday, number one fan. Cassie. All right. We've graded A&M's football season. It's basketball season, though. So stick around. We're going to have another segment here breaking down a men's and women's basketball. Welcome back to the Mike Nation podcast, everyone. I'm Alex Miller with the Eagle, joined by Robert Cessna and Travis Brown. A&M football season's over, so that means basketball season is kicking into full gear. Uh, the men, they're hopeful for an NCAA tournament breakthrough season in, in Buzz Williams. What is this, fourth year? Fifth? Fourth, fourth year. Fourth. 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 And, of course, Joni Taylor, it's her first year at the helm uh, on the women's side, so... Travis, the men played – well, I guess they both played last night. So, yeah, how about that? Um, let's start with the men, though, because they got a they got a pretty nice little win over SMU, uh, pulled away there in that second half, Travis. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. These last three games that A&M has played – or will has played and will play, DePaul, SMU, and then this Saturday um, against Boise State were three games that weren't necessarily on the schedule at the end of the regular season last year. But when uh, Buzz Williams and his staff saw – partially how much strength the schedule played into the decision of, for the committee not to make the NCAA tournament, they realized they, they got to bolster that non-conference slate a little bit. So they put in what – they replaced what would have been three quad four teams in the, in the net rankings with what probably will be three quad one teams, SMU, um, might mm. be quad one, quad two, oh. um, depending on how their, their, their season uh, goes out. But uh, DePaul was a, was a good win. Last night, SMU was a good win, and and other than a slow start, they they handled the Mustangs pretty pretty handily. Boise is going to be an interesting one. It's a neutral site game, of course. When they get away from home, uh, DePaul was on the road too. When you get away from home, it helps those uh, those net rankings and what quadrant they are in on your resume. Uh, but Boise is a neutral site game and an offense that's that's really unique, really different. Uh, a, a team that Buzz Williams said the reason they were able to schedule them is not a lot of te- teams want to play them because of how uh, different their, their look is. It's a, it's a, should be another quadrant one uh, game and it'll be that final test. So uh, kind of what I asked buzz last, last night was it's, it's a little bit of a risk to go in and change your schedule to add more um, to add better teams um, in, in non-conference to help kind of bolster that schedule. And for as much of a risk as it was, it's, it's rewarded them so far. Uh, they also seem like they've been able to rebound over those two losses that they suffered in Myrtle Beach that um, were, were not necessarily great. The, the, the thing, thing about it, though, too, is they they've not, haven't done well in these early season um, tournaments since Buzz has been here. But this is probably the best um, competition that they've faced in one of those 
conferences. So, you know, if you go back, I think it was year two, they're losing to Fairfield and teams like that. And those are like quad three, quad four losses that you're suffering in these preseason tournaments. These uh, Colorado and uh, Murray State, Murray State's been a pretty much a perennial uh, uh, tournament team. Uh, they won 30 th- games last year. Right. <laughs> it, 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 those, that's going to be a quad one, quad two loss. They're in a better situation now than they pretty much ever have been in, since Buzz has been here. Well, well it's kind of interesting about that is you mentioned Murray State's very good in, in Missouri Valley. So you can always worry about that. I'll be interested because you never know what these teams are going to turn out with. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like you hope because DePaul plays, you know, in a, in a tough conference, but – what I'm reading, the ball might be down a little bit this year, a little bit less than what they think. And SMU, the uh, American Athletic Conference, you hope that's strong, but I really wasn't impressed with the, with uh, SMU last night because they didn't play good defense. Their ball handling was really suspect. And and I, I mean, I actually went to the game for a change and watch, watched A&M. And, and I like what I saw from A&M, but, man, I go, they're going to rough time winning games in that conference if they, they don't get better on their ball handling issues. And you, all, and you don't know that when you, when you schedule these. Now, I think the greatest thing uh, Buzz has done is go to the tournament, play those good teams, because it was a wake-up call. They're back to playing their, their defense the way they should. And, and, you know, sometimes in basketball, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, because you, you, you schedule these teams, and then sometimes they try to beef up their schedule or whatever, and at the end, when it's all said and done, you don't know exactly what their RPI, because you can't play, you, you don't want to play the ACC teams, or you don't want to play Big Ten teams, you do want to play those teams, but like you said, not playing Fairfield or not playing a lot of no names. And I'll be really interested to see what they do against Boise State because I think that is, is going to be a good game. Yeah, we don't know the teams that they replaced with those three games, but I do know from talking to people in the program that they were quad four teams. So you're, you're going from like a like a Lamar to an SMU. Which is that, huge. That, that, is, that yeah. is a big help. But you're right. I, I don't think uh, SMU is, is – is, of the three teams, SMU might actually be the one that um, – Bears the, the worst this season from what we've seen early Because that's a good league, too, you know. Right. And I saw them, I go, man, they're going to have to pick their game up. Because right. they try those passes. They were making passes from the baseline almost to the next baseline. And A&M was picking them off a couple of them ago. That's basic basketball, guys, and playing their – I guess they're playing their seventh game. And I go, now they had some offensive players. Now they could score. That guy out front, oh, my gosh – uh, he had like 23, 20 points mm-hmm. at halftime. Oh, man, he was on fire. So And, and then, you know, people need to go out and watch. The, I was thought there'd be more people there because it took me forever to get in. And I'm thinking like, oh, they're going to have a great crowd. They had a decent crowd, but they do play hard, which I think Buzz is getting back to that. I, I, and you have to mention uh, uh, Zach Nuttall. Zach Nuttall, uh, yeah. Brian, Brian Kidd, Kidd yeah. who came in and played. He yeah. was. A, I talked to him after the game. He was a little disappointed with his performance, uh, but he yeah, was he glad start, to He be started able. the first six, and he didn't play as much last night. I thought it looked like he did, and maybe. Yeah, he, I think he was just – it wasn't his night, wasn't wasn't feeling it, so they, 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 they subbed him out. Um, but he was glad to be back, and he said representing the city uh, at a place he grew up watching a lot of, of uh, games. Another thing worth mentioning in the, in the men's uh, game – and it's something that was uh, talked about a lot last year when you're talking about AM's non-conference uh, uh, strength of schedule is the fact that in past years, the, NC- uh, the SEC has had this rule that on a three-year rolling scale, on a three-year rolling uh, uh, yeah, scale, you, you, you had to schedule your non-conference slate to average out to a net of 150. Hmm. And that's either when the contract was signed or the end of the last year if the contract was signed in the, in the off season, um, they did away with that this year mm. because for, to your point with the one year transfer rule and the transfer portal, teams can rebuild and reboot so quickly that th- if, if it's a three year scale and you schedule the, the, the game two years in advance or a year in advance, you have no idea a team could have lost everyone in the mm. transfer portal or gained everyone and, and could be a completely different team than before. Uh, so that and that was also built when the RPI was the main metric uh, and, and networks just a little bit differently. So as Buzz was saying, it's a little bit of an antiquated system that they did away with it, mm. but they hired HDI, which is an, an analytics company that A&M has used to help 
uh, scout and not only self-scout, but scout other teams. The SEC actually hired them to help consult with teams on schedule building to, to make sure that their uh, strength of schedule is something that the, the committee would like to see. So that's kind of the route they went. A little bit interesting uh, change this year when hmm. it comes to yeah. that, that strength of scheduling uh, in the non-conference. And I buzz that it's some new players, and you watch a little bit more of that marble kid. He looked pretty, pretty impressive to me mm-hmm. for a little bit, and he's he looks like he's all maybe even have more depth this year for a and I don't know. In that game last night, this is what my story was on. That game, it's gonna. I think a lot of a season is going to ebb and flow with how Henry Coleman was. Mm. He started the game uh, 0 for 4. Mm. Uh, and he was not good at Myrtle Beach. Uh, two of the first two Myrtle Beach games, he went one for six, I think, uh, against Murray State. Um, Buzz Williams said they've had a conversation about him just kind of be, pl- trying to play out of, outside of himself too much, being a little too sped up. Uh, he played a lot better in DePaul, and Buzz even said that before the game they talked about him playing uh, a little bit more within himself, not so sped up, and, and he still went out there and played a little bit outside of himself, went one for four, missed uh, went zero for four, missed three bunnies, three three easy shots early. Buzz pulled him and said, "Listen, slow it down." And after that, he was he was pretty good. Finished with twenty three points and um, didn't didn't have as much problems uh, up close. But A and M does finish, I believe it was seven or fifteen for twenty four on layups last night. They need a little bit more from their posts. They need to be a little bit more efficient on those close shots. Uh, but they also need Henry Coleman to, to, to be the, the, the weight of, of this team uh, in, 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 in efficiency in his score. He doesn't need to put up 23 points every game. He needs to be efficient in the shots that he takes. Well, think about going back to last year when Anum was going on that run. Coleman was at his best, especially like in that SEC tournament, the performance he had against Florida, the performance he had against Auburn. I mean, he was playing out of his mind. So, I mean, he had a big night last night and then – you know, Travis, something I'm curious about, too, is, you know, C's kind of mentioned all the new guys. How are, how are some of these, you know, new pieces like Marble, like Dexter Dennis, uh, even a freshman like Solomon Washington kind of fitting into this puzzle after A&M kind of brought back a good core nucleus from that NIT final team last year? I think it's going to be interesting to see because uh, they've all had their moments. I think if you looked at the exhibition game, the first game of the season, it seemed like uh, uh, Solomon Thomas was going to be – the guy. I mean, he was the leading point scorer, I think, in the exhibition game, if I'm not mistaken. And and he, he was the number one player out of Louisiana. He looked like he was going to be an instant impact guy. And as the season's gone on, he's he's kind of struggled for traction a little bit. He I, I think he there's a there's a, a lot of pieces of a good player in there. Um, but I think that on defensively, he, he he's caught flat-footed a few many times and, and is fouling a little bit more than usual. And it, it's just mentally trying to get up with the the, the pace of the game is going to be his next step. But I think he's going to be a good player. But but if you look at what they've done so far this season, Julius Marble has been the standout um, of a guy who's been able to step in. Um, Buzz Williams even said he, with what he does in the post uh, and, and kind of in that more traditional forward post role, he actually has been played a little bit more under control than Henry Coleman has. Um, he hasn't necessarily had the points to, to show it, but he's been good um, in the post offensively, uh, and they have a, a kind of a two-wide player presence down there that they haven't had since Buzz has been here. I think he's been the guy that's, that's um, in, in associated himself the quickest. Dexter Dennis is there. He's more of a defensive ad. He's not going to necessarily add a, a ton, even though he's, he's shot from three-point range decently in times the games. He's going to be more of that defensive ad, so he's going to have his situations in the game where he's going to step up. But it's really been the returners. It's been Coleman. It's been Tyrese Radford. It's been Wade Taylor that have um, stood out and, and, and carried this team the most. And if you ask Buzz about his rotations, where he wants to be with a starting lineup, I don't think they're there yet. I think that there's still some guys that are trying to figure out where they're going to be in the role that they're going to play on this team. And so it is going to be interesting to see as they move forward through um, these last few non-conference games if they can kind of get some of those guys solidified into their roles heading into conference play. Yeah, you know, one more I want to ask you, uh, you know, point guard's a position that's kind of just been, you know, a, a rotating position throughout Buzz's tenure seemed like Wade Taylor kind of latched onto that toward the end of last year and 
he's been a guy that's been pretty good at the earlier this season. How 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 has he really kind of molded more into that role potentially? I, I think that there is a, a double edged there was a double edged sword when it came to Wade Taylor last year. He was by far the most exciting player on the court. You could even say arguably more so at times than Quentin Jackson, even though Quentin Jackson came on at the end. I mean, there was the the chance as a true freshman that he was going to do something unbelievable. But for every one uh, of those amazing plays, there was two or three where he was just playing way out of control. Uh, he would bad live ball turnovers, um, shots he shouldn't have necessarily been taking. Uh, and so that was that kind of immaturity. I think even though I think his actual turnovers per game this year might be just a tick higher than it was by the end of the season last year, he's playing way more under control. He's making the smart decisions. He's not throwing up wild shots. He's, he's fewer, he, he, he's getting himself out of position defensively to try to make a play fewer times, but he's more efficient in making those plays. You haven't seen him, him trail off necessarily. He's just not caught out of position and didn't make the play uh, more times, and and it's something actually I'm going to write about coming up for the um, the, the game this week uh, this weekend is just that he has the game has slowed down from a little bit more, and and when he decides to go out and make that aggressive play, both on offense and defense, he's doing it more intelligently, and, and, and there, the efficiency is a little bit more uh, there. I think the question beyond Wade Taylor is where they're going to go um, for the the backup minutes when Wade's off. It, you know, early in the season, you didn't see a whole lot of Andre Gordon, and I suspected that that was because Buzz Williams knew what he had in Gordon. He has all of these other guys um, that he needs to try out and see where they are, and and he he knew what he had in Andre. Um, KK Robinson was maybe going to be that guy to step in the transfer from Arkansas. But he's he's seen very few minutes since he's he's been here, and he was a kind of turnover machine earlier. Didn't seem like he he knew where he was. And Andre Gordon has basically stepped up and been that that secondary number two guy with at times Tyrese Radford, Manny Obasiki, um stepping in and um, um, playing the the point guard when they need maybe a little bit more of a a defensive lineup, or they're trying to run that that high pressure half court trap. Um, but yeah, Wade Taylor has made huge strides this year, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how he progresses through the season. Not surprised Andre Gordon's emerged kind of as that second go-to guy. I mean, it, it kind of looks like he might become what Quentin Jackson was to this team last year, just kind of that solid veteran that you knew what you were going to get from him. Sure, you probably won't get the production, the same kind of production out of him that Quentin Jackson gave right. last year, but he is a, a stabilizing presence, a veteran presence. And, and you know, it's interesting because he's a guy that came in in his freshman year, and Buzz always saw him as a two-guard, but they just really didn't have that point guard his, his first year here, and they had to kind of force um, Andre Gordon into that position, kind of saying later down the line he'll, he'll settle into his a more natural position as a two guard, but as the as it's gone on and as they've kind of still struggled sometimes with depth when Marcus Williams left the team last year and uh, now with Quentin Jackson gone too that they don't they they still don't have a lot of depth at point guard and he still had to stay there but he has gotten better at um, his decision making at his ability to um, not turn the ball over and um, he he's a he's a solid point guard backup that'll give you minutes when when uh, uh, Taylor needs some some rest. All right, Cease, it's your turn. Let's talk women's hoops. Joni Taylor's bunch. It's been it's been some up and down early. They got they got beat pretty bad again at Kansas last night. Well, I think we're going to see some of that. Unfortunately, fans don't want to hear that because you know last year was Gary Blair's gone away year. I mean that was such the focal point. But bottom line is they were 14 and 15, 12th in the SEC. Didn't get it done. Unfortunately, you're going to see more more of that this year as you make the transition. <clears throat> Jonah Barker, uh, number three recruit in this class, is definitely worth the price of admission. She gets hurt last night. She hurts her wrist. Don't know. Uh, Joni Taylor said afterward in the postgame it could be some kind of muscle deal in there. They're waiting to see what happens. But without her, 14 points, like seven rebounds, they, 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 they go way down. And Cindy Bowles is a good freshman. They also got Roby hurt last night. She's one of the three players inside. This, even without those players, it was 32-26 at halftime at Kansas. Kansas is going to make the tournament again. They bring everybody back from the 21-10 and 10 team that made the tournament. But a only scored 16 points in the second half. They, they, just, they, just get, they just get drove. And that's the problem when you're young and turning over. 
Uh, you're also in the SEC where you have a lot of top-heavy teams that are picked 11th. It's not what fans want to hear, but it's going to be a learning process. You look in the SEC, I don't know where they're going to get wins, but the good and bad about last night was it was 32-26 at halftime. Kansas was playing pretty good. You're down by six at halftime. You go out in the second half, you lose by 30. It's a little bit like talking about that A&M football team. Oh, my gosh. You don't seem, you don't look like you're that far. Then all of a sudden you lose by 36. And you go like, whoa. And they went to Duke. Uh, they, after three quarters, they were down by 25 at Duke. Duke's a nice team, probably going to make the tournament. Then Duke turns around and loses by 25 to Connecticut. So you look at how far you're away where A&M was just there three years ago literally could have maybe won the national championship, a number one seed. And now, you know, two seasons later, you, you're probably not going to make the tournament. That's how fast it could change. And we don't live in a basketball town, let's be honest. I mean, Buzz is going to have to win games for people to come out. Joni's not going to win games other than the blue hair. It's going to get tough to get people. Crowd's been nice for the two games I went. I know Travis went to one and has that Gary Holder, but it's going to be tough. But Joni – Takes no excuses. She said after the game, we got to play better than that. We got to be better than that. And she has high, high aspirations. She already signed a number one player for next year. So she's a good recruiter. She's also a good coach. She just might not have enough talent and experienced talent right now. Yeah, uh, Joni's in that kind of similar situation that maybe the football team was in this year, that they brought in a really great recruiting class, but that the talent is young. And it's a little bit inexperienced, and it's in even uh, their 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 top player. One of their good players has been hurt uh, up until. Uh, yeah, my core, uh, my core is there. My core, I don't know my roster in front of me. Yeah. They have one of the freshmen, but she was the, like the third in the pecking order. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. Right. You, you can use help because suddenly, as I mentioned, you get beat by thirty six. What what don't ten points do? Well, you lose mm-hmm. by twenty six. You're right, Travis. They need her. They need all those. And sometimes when it's gone bad, like she goes, she loses two of her starters. You know, in the first half to injuries. When it's gone bad, we saw that in football. It, it just and you you hope. You know, we saw this in soccer. You know, soccer was bad. You know, last year and this year they weren't much better. Sometimes you get in these ruts. And you accept winning because the women's program won for like 15 years under Gary, mm-hmm. and it didn't win his last year. And you go, man, you can lose it quick. But, uh, you know, like I said, Barker's worth the price of admission. And they will play hard. Uh, Gary Blair, uh, Joni, much, much like Gary Blair, she does not make excuses. She wants results. Well, and you mentioned, too, the teams they played. If you go back to, to Buzz's first season, and really all the seasons past that, they, they really haven't tested the team too hard in non-conference. They've had some tests this year, especially for a first-year coach. Yeah, you, you go to Duke, yeah. uh, where, where Gary didn't – I don't think Gary won there. I might be wrong, Gary. Gary will call me when he watches this. <laughs> Gary, Gary's not going to listen to the podcast. Yeah. I know they played there. They played there. And then, you know, at Kansas, they beat Kansas 11 straight times, but Kansas made the tournament last year for the first time to the 13th. And Kansas wanted to put it on A&M because they remembered, their program remembered that A&M went in there and won that building six straight times. So you're right. Uh, but Joni likes those games to see where she's at because she's going to play in the SEC. When you play LSU and Arkansas and Tennessee and South Carolina, you better be ready. So she needed to play some of those. And she's going to play a couple good teams in a tournament. So she needs those because the SEC is unforgiving. I mean, the top eight are going to go to the NCAA tournament, much like the men's basketball team. Buzz might be the hopefully the sixth or seventh best team or not better, you're going to get the tournament. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a tough league. So you're right, Travis. She upped her schedule. Now, this week she plays Morgan State. I haven't looked up Morgan State, but I think they'll beat Morgan State <laughs> late on Sunday, so we'll see. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Cease, just what's kind of on the horizon for the A&M women's team uh, as they close out the non-conference yeah, slate? Yeah, they play Morgan State this Sunday, and, you know, I'm a coach. I haven't looked past this Sunday, buddy. There you go. Sorry, so you, <laughs> you want to make me look bad? Way to go, Alex. I don't know who they play after Sunday. Fair enough. <laughs> well, well, and I'll go ahead and throw out there that the the at this point in non-conference play, when you look at the men's team, I I, I think they're an NCAA tournament team. I, I think that they have the the pieces. I think that they are improved in the right statistical categories. Mm-hmm. That they can be an NCAA tournament team. What's your 
litmus test? What's your projection right now for, for women? Is there postseason play in their future? Maybe whether it be NIT or not? Or do you think this is still going to be a, a strong rebuilding year? That's the deal is can they get the 500? You know, mm-hmm. do well in the, in, in the, in the non-conference. Beat some Vanderbilt, beat Auburn, steal a couple wins. You know, somehow get to six and ten in in uh, league play or whatever. I think they play sixteen games. I don't even remember that. You guys yeah. ask me tough questions, but <laughs> I think I think I do this for a living. But yeah, can you get to five hundred? Because that's you know, AM didn't get there last year. Maybe they, maybe they were fifteen and four. I think they were fourteen and fifteen. But can you get to five hundred? Because you know these youngsters. God bless them because. I love Jenna Barker already. She gives me my tape recorder when we're done interviewing. I mean, I mean, they're good kids, and they're used to winning. Losing, you know, is tough when you walk in, and they might have lost two games in their whole high school senior, you know, senior year. All those girls, and they've already lost three games this year. They're not used to losing, so. To answer your question quickly, Travis, can they get to five hundred? Stay five hundred. Basketball needs to have decent seasons especially the men's yeah. team the men's team is carrying a lot because uh, we haven't talked about it but football not great women's soccer better than last year uh but and, and they're a young team they're gonna get better but soccer uh, one and done in the ncaa tournament volleyball they're yeah. gonna have to find a new head coach even cross country when we've talked to wendell mcraven they didn't make uh, uh, ends meet about the fact that they thought both teams could make the national uh, meet and and they didn't in fact only their number five Man, uh, male runner uh, made it yeah. to the to NCA. So it's it's been a bad fall for A and M, and Aggie fans are are going to be in need of of a rebound season, and and that's it, put a lot of pressure on um, basketball and, and then baseball moving in the spring. Well, and it, I looked at Joe Lenardi's bracketology. And I think he posted it yesterday or the day before. He's got A and M as one of the first four out, and I think mm. a lot of that's due to their two losses in Myrtle Beach. But if they go and beat Boise State, you start you start thinking it's that's that was more of just a bad couple days where they got run out of the gym real quick on a couple bad halves, and the team's starting to play more consistent, starting to find its way. We'll know where the men's basketball team is in uh, mid December when they go to Memphis right. and play. That's Memphis is for call. sure going to be a tournament team, and uh, that'll be a good good test of of where A and M is because uh, that'll be playing against the field. Yeah, Travis wants to be traveling again in March. I'm probably not going to be traveling in March, and that's no Marriott points. So Cease will not be happy, but uh, maybe I'll give my card to Travis when he's going with Buzz. Nope, I'm going to take those Marriott points. <laughs> all right, well, check theeagle.com for all of our coverage on A&M men's and women's basketball. And, hey, maybe the Aggies will off, uh, hire an offensive coordinator the next week. We'll find out. So uh, until then... For Travis Brown, yeah, he's here, and Cease is over here. I'm Alex Miller. We'll see you next time. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, the way it must have seems. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good loving needs a girl, we know that's true. Make sure you're sticking with me